Welcome to Culture Factor. I'm your producer and host, Holly Shannon. Our new season looks at creators, innovators, and entrepreneurs. Why? Because the creator and gig economy is emerging. Talent has gone to work for themselves. The new year starts with the 101, or the beginner guide, for NFTs, blockchain, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and all those metaverse and Web3 topics we keep hearing about. We are all going back to school on Culture Factor to understand this decentralized economy. From creator coins to the tax implications of selling crypto, let's unpack these emerging technologies in really simple terms. Join me and feel free to send in your questions. Would your brand like to sponsor Culture Factor? It is your opportunity to be a part of a podcast that is ranked in the top 2% globally and heard in over 89 countries. Email holly at hollyshannon.com. Subscribe to Culture Factor and share with a friend now. Okay, let's start with our class. Let's get our next guest on. Hello, Culture Factor family. Today I have a couple of guests and they are pretty interesting the way they work together. So I'm so excited to share with you. Um, Today I have Elizabeth and Jason Franklin um, on the show. And I'd love to tell you a little bit about them. Um, Elizabeth Franklin, who also goes by the name of Geekella, is a celebrated two-dimensional artist known for her generous application of vibrant, vivid colors, as well as her use of varied and unique artistic media. Elizabeth's whimsical portrayals of the world that inspired her have earned her victories and recognition through displays and contests from her early childhood into adulthood. Unsatisfied with restricting herself to traditional canvases, Elizabeth has demonstrated her transcendence of everyday media through such venues as the shoe company Tom's, and later she collaborated with the founder of Artinet Makeup. Most recently, Elizabeth found herself captivated by the NFT space. She created the artwork for the generative Dreamy Geeks NFT collection and is in the early stages of creating artwork for other NFT projects. And I just want her to be able to say hello. How are you, Elizabeth? Hey, Holly. How are you? So glad to be here. So nice to have you. And let me give a little intro to Jason. Jason Franklin, uh, the the other half of the team, is a forward thinker, servant leader, and humanitarian. He is determined to use his talents and skills to make a positive impact on humanity, driven by his yearning desire to make the world a better place which we really need right now. (laughs) Profoundly interested in a variety of topics such as blockchain, Web3, the metaverse, NFTs, artificial intelligence, machine learning, hackathons, to just name a few things. He understands the technical side of NFTs, appreciating the endless amount of potential use cases and staying true to his desire to change the world for the better. He proposed to his wife, He proposed that she help him create an NFT collection that would marry their talents in order to bring his visions to fruition. She created the art and he wrote the code. So welcome, Jason. Hey, thank you very much, Holly. So nice to have you both here. Um, I would like to start uh, by talking about, Elizabeth, if we separate the art from the tech, um, can you share with us your journey as an artist? And, and then Jason, I'd love for you to share your tech journey. You know, as an artist, before you can start a project, you have to know what you're working on. And 
Jason came to me, as you already said, um, wanting to work on an NFT collection. Well, Jason is a major dreamer. He's a visionary. He always sees these big projects in his head and tells me about his awesome ideas. And, um, and whenever he started talking about this NFT collection that he wanted to work on together, I was just completely confused. I had no idea what we were talking about. He explained the whole concept to me. And finally, he got me on board. I said, okay, I'll help collect, I'll help create these NFTs for you. I'll draw the pictures, you draw the code, or you create the code. And so the first step was he needed me to create a few sample layers so that he could play with them. We didn't know what we were going to create yet. Um, and I went up into my office and I was just thinking, I said, what am I going to do? Just, you know, this is just for fun right now. We're just testing this out. And I was thinking about my husband and how he's such a dreamer and and how he was explaining these NFTs and the metaverse and all of these things to me. And I thought, I didn't realize this so much when I met him, but my husband really is such a geek. He's a cute geek, but he's a geek. <laughs> so I decided to just kind of surprise him. And I made a few sample layers um, of these geeky cartoon people, um, you know, with the theme of, you know, metaverse, crypto and things like that. And I sent them down to him and he played with them. But anyways, my point is, is that, you know, the first step is for me is finding a muse. And Jason was totally my muse and my inspiration in this project because he, um, you know, he gave me that, that fire of, you know, creativity. He sparked that in me to even move forward with it at all in the first place. Um, but as far as the whole process is concerned, um, what I did was, you know, I'd like to think about it this way. If you've ever played with paper dolls or made collages and things like that, you're going to start off with with a base layer, like a piece of paper, something like that. That's going to be the background of your art. The next step is to to create the body shape. That's going to be the next the next layer. So if you think about a paper doll, the body would be the, you know, the next layer in the art. Um, and then you decorate the paper doll with clothes and things like that. Each one of these layers is a separate file and the illustrator program that I created. Um, so that's basically the way it works from an artistic standpoint. What I did was to create the body, I sketched it out with, you know, pencil and paper, made sure it looked the way I wanted. I scanned it into my computer and then I traced it on Adobe Illustrator and just kind of went from there. So well, I love the process actually that you're taking us into because I think some of those little pieces get lost and people are unaware that they literally can start with drawing or collaging or, you know, sort of building out the, uh, the base, right? Like a maquette, like somebody who is sculpting would make like a maquette first and then go to the next step. So that's pretty cool. Did you have like Photoshop and Adobe Illustrator? Did you have that experience prior or was that sort of a next stage of learning? I've had, you know, several years of Adobe Illustrator and, um, you know, I've been tinkering around with, um, with these programs for several years. It wasn't until the last year or two that I became more familiar with Illustrator. Um, recently I had a friend that owns a business and he wanted, um, a mascot created. So I had to like really learn Illustrator for that project. So, um, it's, it's, you know, the Illustrator portion is more recent. Photoshop, I've gone way back with Photoshop. Excellent. 
So um, when we look at the other side, so you guys married your talents. Um, Jason, maybe you can share with us what your tech journey was and then sort of weave it into uh, the work that you guys are doing together. Sure, absolutely, Holly. Yeah, so the tech, the tech journey, um, basically when you're creating an NFT uh, generative project, which is what we created. Um, so if you have a collection of NFTs, that are you know a set of a thousand or five thousand or eight thousand eight hundred eighty eight or ten thousand or something like that you're going to want to use a, a programming uh some code or things like that because you know it's it's not very easy for an artist to sit down and draw you know ten thousand um pieces of art and, and at one time you know so um you know as elizabeth explained her art side you know what she did with the layers that's a lot of work on her side she drew over 500 traits and those traits are plugged into this computer program um, that I worked on. And uh, the way I started off the process is it's it's a it's a constant back and forth collaboration. Just you know, just to start it off between the artist and the programmer. Um, so that's one thing um, that I think is very important in these projects is that those two are. It could be sometimes in some projects there's there's multiple developers or you know artists sometimes. Those those people need to be able to collaborate well and work together. That's one thing I'd like to say just, just to get started. Um, but, you know, I started off with a, a program that generates the art. So I used in this scenario of the Dreamy Geeks, I used uh, a Python program. Um, so I'm my background is in programming and, and things like that. So I have a, I can program in Python and JavaScript and all these different languages. And so we chose Python for the generator. Um, and so what we do is Elizabeth, as she sends over these files, um, she basically, I bring them into the program and I put them on my computer on the PC. I, I save them in a, in a repository, in a file repository. And then the program calls these files as it's running through and generating the art. So the way you create this, this program is you write functions that do different things, you know, like you're generating rarities, you're basically um, adding each uh, trait and attribute that the artist is creating. So as Elizabeth said, she had backgrounds, she had bodies, she had, um, you know, clothes and accessories and all these different types of traits and attributes. This program runs through these files and generatively puts them together um, in a way that randomizes and creates rarity. So that's kind of the first step of the process. Um, and you can go about this in different ways. Basically, you could, uh, you could start building your your DAP first, like your decentralized application, you know, which is your front end. We started with the back end doing the generative art first and kind of getting our art together so we knew what that was going to look like. And so we had a, a good idea of of what our, our images were going to be. Um, we kind of had a general idea just by looking at each trait and layer, but we wanted to see them actually all together. And and so once um you take you take these images and you pull them into the program, um, I started doing batches. So I did a batch of a hundred, just like a test batch. And it was really, really fun process because as Elizabeth created each new layer, uh, I would bring that into the program and I would run a batch of a hundred. And like our first batch was just like backgrounds, bodies, I think hair and eyes and or no, just background and bodies. We didn't even have any faces or anything on them. So it just kind of gave us an idea of like, okay, this is cool. We like these backgrounds. We like these bodies and all these types of things. And then as we, the, the progress or as the process went on, um, Elizabeth got more traits and started drawing more things. We had noses and eyes and and and, and uh, you know accessories and different things. So that's kind of the process of the generative side. 
Um, and then, you know, programming on a generative program, there's so many different uh, open source programs out there now. I wrote the majority of our program myself. I did, I did get some functions from GitHub. So just for any programmers that are listening to this, um, you know, if you've never built a generative art program, there are many out there you can use uh, now, especially now after the NFT space has grown. Um, but I, um, as, an, as a programmer, we're all open source a lot of times. So we, we write things and put them on GitHub and borrow from each other. Um, so I used a, a Python, a very small Python function I found, and I just kind of built upon it and wrote the program around that. And then what you have to do next is you want to build like a front end so that people uh, can go mint your NFT. And in this scenario, um, we did a we did our own decentralized application where people can go mint from our app, and then once they mint, that NFT shows up on OpenSea. Since we went with Ethereum, um, OpenSea was the the marketplace that we decided to go with because it's one of the biggest marketplaces for Ethereum. So the way that works is you write a decentralized application, and this is like basically where users are going to go or or people that are interest in your project are going to go and they're going to read about your project. They're going to see like your roadmap and all these types of things. And so from the technical side about that, you, we built this in React, um, react.js, uh, which is a JavaScript. Um, and there's a bunch of other elements in there, um, CSS and HTML and things like that. But the, the bulk of the application is a React application for anyone that, you know, wants to know more about the deep down technical side. Um, and then you have to focus on the smart contract. And the smart contract is, um, it's basically your rules of what um, is going to happen whenever someone mints an NFT. So you're going to have functions in there, um, things like uh, you can stop and start your contract. You can pause your contract with these functions. You can do withdrawals uh, as your NFT collection builds up and you have a roadmap and you want to withdraw to take out to do things with the roadmap and things like that. Your your smart contract allows you to do that. and your smart contract is not necessarily a legal contract per se. It's just a, a set of rules that basically says, if this happens, then that happens. So it's basically like when this requirement's met, then this other thing happens. Um, so that's from the smart contract side. And when you mint, basically the um, application uh, connects through MetaMask in our scenario, because we're using the MetaMask wallet. Um, and MetaMask connects and, and talks to that smart contract. And then the images themselves, um, as we create the images and, and we generated them, we, we saved them and then they're stored to an IPFS, uh, which is a, a storage system called an interplanet interplanetary file system. Um, and that interplanetary file system is where the majority of NFT images reside for most projects, um, ours as well as most other ones. Now there is another technology that's uh, emerging. Um, it's called on-chain. And on-chain is a little more expensive, which is why you don't see the majority of projects doing it yet, because you're basically taking the image and compressing it on-chain, like on the blockchain. But the majority of the majority of projects, um, including ours right now, are still doing IPFS storage. So basically, your image resides on an IPFS, and then that image is displayed on a marketplace like OpenSea or Rarible, or it could be if you're using Solana, it could be the Sol marketplace. But basically, that's kind of how it works from the from the backend tech side. So in our scenario, our smart contract talks to the IPFS and then it talks to OpenSea. And then we uploaded our smart contract to OpenSea, which is where our images show up. So if someone goes and mints uh, a Dreamy Geek NFT, um, 
you know, the smart contract goes through all the uh, parameters and goes through all the rules. And then it talks to the IPFS and talks to, to OpenSea. And so someone presses the mint button and then they're, they're about after about two minutes, maybe three minutes. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's a shorter period. Sometimes it's a longer period, just depending on the network load or the uh, basically amount of transactions on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, it'll show up on OpenSea. So someone mints and then they can go see their image about, you know, two or three minutes later, which is a really, really cool thing. Yeah, I love that. Um, because a lot of people coming to this show are new to all of the ideas uh, surrounding uh, either creating an NFT or collecting an NFT, um, I'd love to just go back on a couple of points that you brought up. Um, for starters, does it is it necessary um, for somebody to have a coding background if they are creating generative art? Like to to make what you guys made possible, you had the best of both worlds. Like you have, you know, Elizabeth as the artist and you have you as the tech guy. But if somebody um, wants to, you know, get into creating NFTs and they want to do a generative collection, do they have to have that background? Is there, you know, you talked about open sourcing. Is Are there sources that the code's already there for you that you can kind of borrow it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it does help to have a coding background just so you kind of understand things. I mean, that's definitely not a, a bad thing. It helps. But in saying that, you absolutely don't have to have a coding background to do some of these things now. Um, and the reason why, the, there's a beautiful uh, amount of repositories out there on, on GitHub now where you've got people that have created some of these art generators um, where you can go out and you can, you can uh, clone them, you know, over to your um, visual studio is a, is a platform that a lot of developers use. Um, visual studio code is a lightweight one, but I would recommend downloading if anyone wants to try some of these repositories, but um, I, I will give uh, a shout out to Hashlips. He's someone, he's one of my favorite uh, people out there that put on these or put out these repositories. I didn't use him for our project. Um, because at the time actually we started doing it, I hadn't I hadn't learned about his channel yet. But going back, like I would use his repository if I was new and getting started in this for sure. If I didn't have a coding background, especially, uh, he breaks things down uh, very simply. He's got a, a great uh, a great amount of videos out there, and so he he's got some. And then there's quite a few other people out there besides Hashlips as well that are also. Uh, have come out with some of you know generative programs they put out there so if you don't have a coding background the key is 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 getting watching some of these videos taking your time um you know spending a couple of days with it and and learning um the syntax of code and and things like that but you absolutely holly don't have to have a coding background to do this it's just going to take a little bit more effort if you don't because you're going to have to to do a little bit of learning but i don't think the learning is out of anyone's uh reach i think it can be done if someone has enough uh, you know, willpower to get in it and, and take their time to do it. Well, I think what, um, if you have any of these links, um, I'll put those in the show notes so that people can do that. Um, it might bring me to another question. Not everybody wants to do a generative collection. Um, they don't want to create, you know, a body of work that has, you know, 10,000, you know, pieces in it. What if you're the, artist like 
maybe uh, Elizabeth, like you were initially um, maybe just doing some collage. Um, maybe you're a photographer. Maybe um, you use something like Procreate to draw on your iPad or whatever, and you want to make a one of one. Do you have to go through the same hoops in terms of uh, coding and that whole application process with, you know, the smart contracts to get your NFT on OpenSea? Or is there like a shortcut or like a more simpler way? Yeah, absolutely. You do not need code to be able to sell your art on OpenSea. All you need to be able to do is just follow a few, you know, simple directions. Um, before we started working on the Dreamy Geeks collection, we were playing around with, you know, trying to sell one of ones and things like that too. Um, and if you're thinking about, if you're an artist and you're thinking about possibly doing a generative collection in the future, but you just don't know how yet, or you don't have the contacts that you need to be able to help you with the project, you can always play around too and just create a few sample layers and put them together manually and then upload those as one of ones or small collections. Um, and that's kind of, that's something else that we're doing too, as you know, the Dreamy Geeks team, we have our generative collection and then we have our specials collection where I'm creating, you know, one of ones or unique pieces specifically for people by requests and things like that, where we don't need any code to do it. I just put it together by hand. So yeah, that's definitely possible. Let me ask you a question. So if they can buy like a piece of the generative collection, like one of the layers, for example, is it possible for them Okay, I might be getting technical and saying this wrong, so forgive me. But could they buy a Dreamy Geek and then buy that layer? Would there be a utility that would allow them to morph their original Dreamy Geek and sort of reinterpret it in their own mind? Definitely, Holly. That would be a possibility. Um, you could could take the layers, especially if they were provided, let's say, uh, on OpenSea, we uploaded this, you know, one of one image like Elizabeth is talking about, and there's something called unlockable content. Uh, anyone could theoretically put each layer in the unlockable content, giving the person that buys the image access to those layers so they could create their own image from it. And this is a really cool idea because with our collection, the Dreamy Geeks, um, if someone buys one of our NFTs or mints one of our NFTs, they have the IP rights to that NFT and they can do whatever they want with that image afterwards. So they can take that image and put it in a GIF or put, put it in a, um, another image or create some kind of a fun other picture with it. So what you said was a great point and great idea, Holly, um, taking these layers and, and dropping them in the unlockable content so that the owner of this NFT could have these layers to do whatever they wanted with it. So that's, that's a fantastic point and good question, Holly. Thank you. I, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I come from the experience side of things. So I'm, I'm maybe just looking at it a little bit different, like, because I think we're, we are all creative. I, I don't believe when people tell me that they're not. Um, and I have to believe that, you know, they're going to obviously fall in love with dreamy geeks, but then maybe they're going to want to put their own fingerprint on it. I don't know. Actually, now I'm going to go back in time a little bit because I know that there is a 
social good piece attached to what you're doing. And I think it was born of the time, Jason, when you used to um, have some exposure to hackathons that kind of had that model built into them. And maybe it sort of implanted that idea for you to incorporate that, or maybe both of you, sorry, um, into your NFT model so that it has a, a purpose. Um, do you want to share what that experience was um, and and maybe share with the audience, was that part of the thinking behind it? Because I know you're a humanitarian, so maybe you want to take the mic on that idea. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, so as you said, I have a background in hackathons and for anyone, just a quick summary, if you don't know what a hackathon is, it's a it's an event where people come together to try to solve a problem, try to come up with solutions for something that uh, exists that's an issue, could be anything. Um, and just, just to kind of clarify, to, to do, be a part of a hackathon, you don't need to be a computer programmer. Um, hackathons do incorporate computer programmers because a lot of times people are coming up with code, but uh, a hackathon can be for anybody and everybody who has ideas, who wants to, to do something to help, so you could be uh, an artist, you could be a programmer, you could be, um, you could work at McDonald's or really, you know, you, any, anybody, you could, uh, could come and be a part of this. And so my past in that is um, I've been in, in multiple hackathons, but one uh, most recently, right before COVID started um, in 2019, I was part of the, the first Houston annual blockchain hackathon. And um, they were hosting an event to uh, come up with a solution for smart cities and to make Houston a smarter city. And the goal was to come up with a solution to make Houston a smart city. But not only that, you incorporated blockchain into the solution. And the judges, you know, at the end of a hackathon, you typically have judges who they could be from any company at the one I was at. We had judges from Microsoft for startups. We had judges from uh, some Houston, some local Houston places, like some tech hubs and things like that. And everyone goes and presents their project. They say why we did this, why we put it together, what it's going to solve, why we use blockchain. Uh, and things like that. And then they judge and say, okay, well, first of all, is the project, you know, does it make sense? Is it usable? Is it scalable? Do you really need blockchain or are you just using blockchain for, for whatever reason? But that's kind of like a little bit of a summary behind the hackathons and how they work. And so having that background, and Elizabeth has been, you know, familiarized with this, uh, her and I have talked about it over the years. And so we decided that for the Dreaming Geeks, um, we wanted to make this a part of the utility and the things that uh, the Dreamy Geeks came together and did. We know there's a big need for social good, a big need to help the world in many ways. Uh, we have a lot of problems in the world like homelessness and hunger. We have uh, a lot of issues in society with suicide and depression and, and all types of different things. I mean, the list could go on and on and on there. But the idea is that the Dreamy Geeks come together collectively as a, as a um, community and they work together to solve some of these issues. Um, and so how that would work is as the community is growing, um, right now our community is growing organically. Um, as the community is growing, we bring more and more Dreamy Geeks or more people into this, this community. We start coming together and doing hackathons. And so those could be virtual or physical hackathons. And then in those, those events, what we do is we vote uh, on issues. And of course, all the issues are important that we're voting on. Um, all of them are going to be important to somebody. But we take a vote and we, we tackle them you know, one at a time. So um, incrementally, we might have the first hackathon might be to address hunger in a certain area of the world where we see it's really bad. And it might say, how can we as a group come together and come up with a solution to address hunger in a certain area? And then maybe we have a hackathon and then 
we have people, judges, and there's like a team of people there. and It could be sponsors, people that want to take the idea that we present and, and take it to the next level. They may fund an idea or fund a startup. So that's kind of how hackathons work. And that's what we incorporated in, in the Dreamy Geeks uh, community. Um, that's one of the biggest things that we're doing. Um, and then, you know, that's also going to lead to the development of the free education platform that we are working on. Um, Elizabeth, let me ask you, uh, may, do you want to go deeper actually on the the education, uh, the social good piece there? Um, sure. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, Jason is, um, he's so passionate about all of these things. And so am I, and we've worked together and, you know, in our community where we live to, um, to just like bring people together as a community. And I have a background in psychology and working with, and like, low income people with mental health issues and things like that. And so when he talks about all of these ideas, it just, it really like pulls on my heartstrings and, and, you know, it's something I can totally get on board with. And, um, you know, with the whole hackathon piece to me, it's such a good idea because what it does is it brings the community together. Um, all of these different geeks from around the world with different perspectives and different experiences to be able to come together and, you know, work on, on the same, you know, problems and things like that. It's just, it's something that really needs to be done. And I'm sure it's being done, you know, other places and things like that, but to be able to use an NFT project to bring this community together is just, you know, something I'm all about at this point. You know, like I mentioned, I was kind of skeptical at first. I didn't understand what NFTs were, what the point was, but, you know, it's really up to the creators how they want to incorporate the utility. And this is just, it's something that we're so excited about and completely dedicated to, you know, moving forward. So, so the, yeah. so the dreamy geeks, your social good piece, is it, is it the education part or is it uh, to help support uh, mental health therapy or something like it? What is built in? So the way it works, and you can go to our website, um, dreamygeeks.com, there's a roadmap on there. And once we hit certain milestones, we're going to have community votes where the community can vote on which problems they want to solve at each hackathon. So for example, once we get to the point where we're ready to have the first hackathon, we'll post in our community, you know, a few ideas or accept other ideas and say, you know, do we want to focus on suicide prevention? Do we want to focus on world hunger? Do we want to focus on water quality? Which topic do we want to focus on on our first hackathon? And then the community members, everybody that holds a Dreamy Geek can vote. And whatever the majority vote is, is what the hackathon will be about at that time. Um, so that's part of our roadmap. And then another part of our roadmap is I think it's once we, and Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe once we get to 80% met, we're going to begin developing a free education platform where anyone in the world that has access to the internet can receive free education. Um, and it will start out small. We'll start with, you know, just a few um, programs and things like that. And we want to scale up eventually. And what the goal is, is, you know, anybody can take these courses for free. Um, but we will also have the option to, um, for these people, when they complete the courses to be able to receive an NFT certificate of completion. Oh, so interesting. So that's like yeah. a, like a POAP. Would that be what mm -hmm. that is? Proof, 
that stands for women. Proof of attendance protocol, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm often asked, does my business need a podcast? My answer is yes, that nothing else is the fast track into thought leadership and being established and seen as the expert in your industry as podcasting. What's increasingly evident is that it's a branding machine. It kicks doors open for you to have conversations with leaders. It creates a pathway to partnerships and connections on a deeper level. You will not be your industry's best kept secret. Your ideas and business will have global reach. So step into your power. Go to hollyshannon.com to launch your podcast now. And now back to our interview. So you've built a community um, and you're using your hackathon experience to make the community's experience around the social good piece more robust. So my question now would be, is this just an organic community that is following behind you or did you need to create a discord channel, um, to, um, contain, contain all of this? I can speak on this one. Um, so discord is a very important thing in the NFT community. And we, so you, you, we do have an organic community. First, I'll answer that question first. Our, our community has grown organically. Um, and that's, it's, it's been great. We, we, we love everyone who's joined the community and is a part of it. Uh, and then Discord is kind of where a lot of our interaction goes on um, behind the scenes because you can use things like Twitter and, and other social media outlets to communicate with the community and send out tweets and things like that. But really Discord gives you that ability to get down uh, in deep conversation and chats and different channels, and you can have different channels set up for certain things. And so Discord is a very important piece of the puzzle uh, in, in most NFT communities. Now, you don't absolutely 100% have to have one, but I would say it's very important. And I would say a big majority of the, especially the generative projects have a Discord. And then um, even uh, one of one artists who are not creating generative collections also create Discords because it does give you a place to come together and communicate. And I like to say our Discord is, is like a family. Uh, it's like a, a really good community of people that come in there. And I'm talking, it's it's so friendly. People come in there and just hang out and talk and chat and, and share things and uh, share information. And so Discord is important. I would say just one thing I want to note while we're here, because I think it's, it's so extremely important, is Discord is a, a beautiful place for creating communities, but it can be dangerous if you don't know how to how to be safe. So just quickly, you know, I will say this, we say this in a lot of our um, clubhouse rooms when, when we um, have these sessions, um, turn off your DMs when you join Discord, no matter what, you know, community you're joining or if you're creating your own community, turn off your DMs um, because this is where a lot of people get scammed. You have people reaching out to you who, who make themselves look like somebody else. And, uh, you know, sometimes a lot of people, they'll ask you to connect your wallet. I'll let you know that, um, Somebody from a community will never reach out to you with a DM, you know, telling you to connect your wallet. That's always going to be a scam. So turn off your DMs and things like that in Discord. And um, that's the way to stay safe. But it, it is absolutely, I think it's actually absolutely really important to have a Discord. Elizabeth, how do you feel about the Discord? I love the Discord. Um, to me, it 
it creates a less formal environment where you can just really get to know the people that are supporting you on a more personal level. Um, I love, I love clubhouse, but I also, I'm not always able to tune in for a couple hours or three hours at a time. Um, so for me, discord is something that I can just go in and out throughout the day, um, chat with people, you know, that are in our community, bounce ideas off each other and just like share memes, all kinds of fun stuff. It's great. I love it. I absolutely love our discord. It's so interesting, the the whole um, piece of it, like there's so many pieces to this puzzle in a way for, for people to move forward with creating an NFT. And I, you know, I like to have as little barrier to entry as possible. You know, I know that, you know, in your case, you have this marriage of code and art and you have uh, a strong technical background and are able had a community that you were able to put into discord and and use it the average person who's just getting into this to make it really easy for them is there a way to use discord that isn't off-putting and and i say this because i'm on i'm on it and i'm connected to several different communities on there but I don't use it because like I keep saying everywhere, it's like a bowl of spaghetti for me. Like I am so, there's so many channels and so much going on there. I can't make sense of it. It's like a Slack channel on fire for me. So is there a way that somebody getting into this can approach it without it being um, so consuming and overwhelming? I can take that. Um, I feel the same way. I'm a member of several different discords and it can be overwhelming when you're constantly getting notifications every five seconds on your phone or when you open up the app and you see, you know, a million little notifications on each discord. Um, But what you can do to prevent that is to go into each channel. You can mute the channel. You can turn off notifications so you don't see any of that. And then you can just go in at your leisure um, you know, whenever you want to and, and check for updates and things like that. I keep notifications on for our channel, um, but I've actually turned them off and I've muted all of the other channels so I can just, you know, go in when I want to and see what's going on. So it, it makes it a lot more um, friendly and less overwhelming to do that. So I would definitely recommend doing that if you're, you know, one of those people like me that don't like getting notifications constantly in your phone. If I can add one thing on course, that as well. Of course. Um, and, and Holly, for anybody that has a Discord and is creating a community, you can actually turn off your notifications so that, you know, because you don't want people in your community being spammed all day with everything everybody says. So as a, a Discord owner or like a community, you know, basically community manager of the Discord, you can go in and you can turn off alerts or, or notifications so that people only get an alert from your Discord if they're tagged, like if someone does an ad sign or if everyone is tagged. And so that's what we've done in the Dreamy Geeks Discord is we've turned off notifications so that, I mean, notifications are on if we tag someone specifically or if they tag everyone. But other than that, people shouldn't be getting spammed from everything everybody says all day. And it's not really spam per se, but people might look at it as spam because, you know, if someone's at work and their phone's going off, you know, 20, 40 times in a minute because people are talking back and forth, you don't really want that. So that's something I, I recommend for those th- those owners of Discords. 
uh, because that way people won't be leaving your Discord. A lot of people leave Discords because they're getting, they feel like they're getting spammed. They don't know how to handle it. So that's one way you can help your your community and make them feel, you know, a little bit better and not getting <laughs> those notifications all day. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, um, did you, did you build your, start building your community before you started building the discord or did you start right away knowing that you needed to have a discord channel? We knew, we knew we needed a discord right away from, from being, from being around the uh, NFT space a little while. And we did start building our Discord about a month before uh, we did our well about a, about a month and a half or two months actually. If looking back, I'm thinking back to when we did this about a month and a half to two months. We started kind of spinning up the Discord and getting it ready. But what I would recommend is if you're gonna do an NFT project, I would say even build your Discord earlier than that. Um, what's so important in the NFT space is community. Community uh, can't stress that enough how big how important a community is and building a community and as ours is growing organically and it's fantastic um, building that organic community from 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 earlier as early on as you can is is really important because that's where you're that's where the people come and start learning about your project and and you start getting exposure to what you're doing and things like that so that's that's how I would I would say do that Tali. And if somebody wants to own a dreamy geek. And they, you know, find you on OpenSea. Do they have to be a part of your Discord community, or can they just, you know, buy the NFT and and move on, or maybe go to your website if they wanted to initially understand your roadmap? They can they can buy an NFT from OpenSea without being in the Discord. Uh, the Discord is a great place to come and learn about what the community is doing and what the project is about and stuff and. Another reason why you might want to join a Discord of a community is because there's typically a channel that has all of their legitimate social links and their legitimate OpenSea and the legitimate website and things like that. Uh, a lot of times on OpenSea, there are scammers out there that create fake collections. They may look like your collection, but they're not really your collection. So we always recommend that, you know, hop in our Discord and check and make sure you're going to our official OpenSea and to our official website and things like that. Um, so, yeah, but just to answer your question, uh, overall, someone doesn't need to be a member of the Discord if they want to uh, buy an NFT off OpenSea. They can, anybody at any time can go do that. Yeah, like, I guess I meant, like, if, um, you know, like, if they found you in Clubhouse Room and they went to your website and then they liked what they saw on there and then went and bought it without necessarily having to become uh, part of the community, but yeah, I could, I could understand like there's so many more benefits to being a part of the community, especially if in time you create, you know, unlockables, utilities, perks and, and different things, then they might not be privy to that unless they were in the channel. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's the most important thing is because in Discord, we're talking about giveaways. We're talking about special promotions like the custom one that, that GeekL is doing right now and those types of things. But, you know, you can get an NFT. They can go mint from the website or they can buy one from OpenSea without being in the Discord. But like you said, there's there's benefits to being in there because you kind of get in the know on what's going on. So, Elizabeth, I have a question for you as the artist. Um, will you continue to iterate on the dreamy geeks or are you on to some new things? Are you creating new collections? That's a great question. Um, I will always be, you know, part of the dreamy geek community. And in fact, um, 
the next project that I'm working on um, is going to be a sister project to the Dreamy Geeks. So the, you know, the next project I'm working on is called the Geekellas Project, um, and it's going to be all females, all female geeks, um, and it will be, um, it'll be 100% charity focused. So all of the proceeds from that project will go straight to charities. Um, and then the member, the holders that will be part of the Geek Ellis community will have access to some of the Dreamy Geek perks. Like, for example, if you own a Geek Ella, you will be able to attend the Dreamy Geek hackathons and things like that. So we want to kind of expand what we're doing, not necessarily jump from project to project, um, because we see this as something really big that can, you know, really take off and make a big difference in the world. Um, and, you know, I will, I, I have been considering, you know, partnering with other people and working on other projects, you know, as the artist, but my heart right now is really with the Dreamy Geeks and it always will be, I can already tell you. I mean, it's something that really speaks to me and, and Jason also, you know, with our purpose and what we want to do for the world. Um, so it's more than just art for us. It's, you know, the whole purpose behind it. I love that. And I, I think um, at this time in our world with everything that is going on, I, I don't want to get political on here and pull anybody into a conversation they're not ready for. But I think in light of the state of, of our nations, um, it's really nice to know that artists and uh, basically anybody, even if they don't consider themselves an artist, could find a way to... Um, support artists, support communities, find uh, charities, um, social good platforms that really resonate with what they want to do. So I, I sort of feel like the NFTs and the decentralized finance type of communities now that are uh, and methodologies that are being created are allowing for more space for us to integrate that. And I don't know if you're seeing that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and like Elizabeth mentioned, we really wanted to use um, this NFT project as a, a vehicle for social good. We saw there's so many things that can be done with NFTs and we have, you know, humanity is here on earth and, and it's such a great thing. And we were thinking like, as big as the metaverse is getting, and we love that. I mean, Elizabeth and I, we, we're totally immersed in the metaverse. We love those technology and as a whole, we love it. We love those kind of cool things and how the technology can help humanity. But at the end of the day, human beings are still so important uh, in this factor. It's all, it's about the humans and, and the people behind the NFTs and behind the projects. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, these people, regardless of how, because those people, including, including ourselves, you know, I'm, I'm, when I say these people, I mean myself, Elizabeth and all of us, um, we've all got to eat and have a place to live and, and we've got to be and, and um, getting along with each other in society and helping each other. And at the end of the day, that's what's so important. And we thought, you know, this project, this NFT project using art, using Elizabeth's art, you know, she's been an artist almost her entire life and doing great art stuff. And using my program background, we were like, how can we use our talents and our, in our, in our skills to help others and, and help the world and help humanity. And so that was a big, big, big thing for us when we started this. I love that. I really do. And I'm so glad that I was able to share this story because I think your story is so unique, your marriage, but 
Um, I also think that the education you bring to the table, like I, f- I feel like what you're doing is making it accessible for other people to replicate the good that you are creating. Yeah, we love to see other people create projects and, and things like that too. Um, there's a couple of projects out there that, that like Elizabeth said, that we may end up collaborating with, um, you know, like we're dreamy geeks and this is the project, the first project that we created, but there's definitely some potential out there for collaboration with other projects as, as time goes by. And, and, you know, we've been approached and we've, we were considering, but we don't, we haven't made any concrete plans with anyone yet, but there's definitely some, some possibilities out there that, that, you know, I know Elizabeth's working on the Geek Colors right now, and, and uh, that's going to be something coming that's really cool. Um, but we're, we're also potentially going to do some other things. And, and as people, some of these people, we may even collaborate with from our community that are doing things, you know, as, as opportunities arise. So we just love it. We love being a part of this community, and it's, it's, so, it's so amazing to us. You know, what's really cool is, like, like you said, you might be creating things from within your community, and it kind of harks back to what you said earlier about the hackathons where there's a lot of people that show up to those hackathon events that come from different backgrounds. They may not have an ounce of coding in their history. They might have been um, a nurse or somebody in sales or, you know, they just come from a different walk of life, but everybody's experience helps to create you know, it's, it's diversity of voice, right? It's, um, it's, it's why we say, you know, in, in companies, there should be diversity because there's so many people from different walks of life. You're going to have a better product in the end. If, if you have all of these different ideas in there. So I think it's really cool that you're going internally into your community and recognizing like, I don't need 10 coders to, be on the hackathon with me and, and tell me what to do next because it's all going to be Python talk. You're like actually utilizing your community to maybe iterate on a, a new idea, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. And, and one thing I wanted to add, you brought up a really strong word there, you know, the word diversity. And that's something that the dreamy geeks from the get go, Elizabeth and I really wanted to make the community a diversity and inclusion type community where, Everyone was included. Everyone's welcome. We even made sure that we had, you know, in our collection, we had women and men. And even some of our collection could be if people relate to non-binary or whatnot. We wanted to make make sure that no one felt left out or excluded. And we have all different colors of bodies um, that you can think of. And this is something that was very important to us that we we made equality and diversity inclusion a a big point of the project. So I wanted to kind of that, that keyword you said there kind of wrung out to me because I remember, hey, I need to make sure that this is known, that this is part of what this community is about, is making sure everyone's welcome. Yeah. Walking the talk is the most critical component, I think, when people build things these days. I hear a lot of people, you know, talking and talking a lot, and they do it for the optics. Companies do it and individuals do it. We see it even here on these platforms, but it's really nice to know that you built it with that in mind. Um I think it's really amazing. Yeah, thank you very much. We we <laughs> we are so pumped about it. It's just it's just amazing. It's still we're still excited. You know, we've been in this project for months, and it's every day we wake up, and it's just great to see when new people join the community, new people come in the Discord, new people mint. It's it's just amazing to see those people. And then sometimes 
you know, we have aftermarket sales on OpenSea where someone comes and buys one. So it's a new person coming in the community who maybe wasn't a part yet, but they've bought through the aftermarket. So it's just so many amazing things happening daily in this community. And so many, every, every day, it's like um, you're learning something new. Um, even if you already know a lot, there's always things that we're going to be learning. And uh, we're kind of, I say like, we're kind of on this journey together. Um, we're all, we're all learning and, and kind of rowing the boat and trying to, um, as much as we have in our database or in our, in our mind already, it's like there's always new things that we can keep on bringing in and learning every day. And then, then we take that knowledge and share it with the community. Yeah, it's kind of what I'm doing with this show, too. So I think we're all on the same page. We're so grateful. We're grateful to be part of this community. And uh, we're grateful to have met you, Holly. And we love what you're doing uh, with with uh, Culture Factor. We think it's awesome. You're, you're really bringing a lot of education and light to uh, people who are just getting into the space, as well as people who've been into it for a while. They can listen to your podcast and hear about uh, you know, educational things about NFTs or, or they can hear about uh, projects and things. So we absolutely love what you're doing and we are so grateful that you, uh, you brought us on and let us speak with you. Oh, well, thank you. I think what you guys are doing is so unique and it's a unique relationship. And um, so I, I was happy to be able to highlight that. And I am enjoying uh, this new iteration of uh, Culture Factor and being able to talk about things that I'm curious about, you know, um, the creator economy and the gig economy is ripe with people in the NFT space right now. So I just felt like it was great. And I will never profess to be an expert in this space. In fact, I probably won't have anybody on who professes to be an expert because I think is this whole, this whole thing is moving too fast for anybody to, sort of, uh, to say that, like, it's, it's just constantly changing. I feel like we're all learning. I hope that I'm able to give everybody, uh, a basic, uh, viewpoint, education, whatever. Thank you again so much, Holly, for having us. It's been such a pleasure talking to you and, you know, it's such an honor to be here and included, um, in your podcasts and everything. So thank you again so much. And again, thank you, Jason and Elizabeth Franklin. You guys are amazing. And I look forward to being a part of your community. I will jump in the discord channel. Um, I will get into the bowl of spaghetti and maybe you can help me <laughs> make sense of it. <laughs> Yeah, we look forward to you coming in there, Holly. And uh, if you have any questions Discord-wise, please feel free to, you know, back channel me on Clubhouse or reach out to me in any way you you know how to get a hold of me. And we, Elizabeth and I can help you. Um, one thing I'm going to be doing is putting out some Discord YouTube tutorials in the future. So, I mean, that, that may help you and other people. I'm going to, I've already created one on my YouTube channel and I'm going to start doing that to help people because I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, people get overwhelmed by Discord. So that may be something that will help. We can link that to the podcast as well. So anything that any materials you have that you think would be advantageous to, um, you know, NFT artists, developers, um, anybody who wants to uh, run a discord community, be in any part of this space, um, please share them with me. And um, I will put those in the show notes so that so people can learn while they listen. That sounds good. That sounds awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Holly. Have a great day. Bye.